And you're listening to Do We Click, a monthly research podcast on the digital relationship between journalists and their audiences. Do We Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam. This is episode eight, an episode about what numbers cannot teach us. I will explore some discussions about flawed audience metrics with you and share what you really need to know in the newsroom when you're confronted with them. I'm staring at the stats overview of my podcast. It's full of numbers that tell me stuff. It tells me, for example, that most of my listeners come from the Netherlands, but also that my podcast has been listened to from the United States 26 times, from Luxembourg, five times, and even twice from Myanmar. My listeners mostly tune into my podcast during the week, not in the weekends, and then mostly on Wednesdays after lunch. That 37% uses Chrome to access the podcast, that the audience dilemma part one is more popular in English, while part two is more popular in Dutch. What do these numbers actually mean? And how can I use them to my advantage? I have so many questions. Who are these people in Myanmar? Or is it one person that listened to two episodes? How did he or she find my podcast? Why are people tuning in on Wednesday afternoons? And okay, Chrome, but how on Chrome? Do people click the link on the website of the Journalism Fund? Or are they following me on LinkedIn? Or do they access the podcast through the website of the university? How many people keep coming back? What do they like about my podcast? What don't they like? How can I improve? Frustrated and confused, I turn back to my document and start writing my new episode. As explained in the previous podcast, news organizations never have a lack of data. And data can be great. By collecting and analyzing data, We can learn a lot from our audiences, our work, our successes and failures. Erik van Heeswijk, CEO of SmartOcto, explained in the previous episode that software that analyzes data is pretty good on a basic level. It can help journalists to push content that is already performing well. It can provide valuable insights about when or where to publish a story or write a follow-up or maybe even when it's better to stop putting effort into something. It could even automate certain things such as writing a great tweet and sending it out at the right time, enabling journalists to spend their energy on other things. But metrics can also have a flip side. We already established in the previous episode that the value of metrics is only evident when they are put in the right perspective. When they are not used properly, they can do more harm than good. An important reason for this is that metrics in itself are intrinsically flawed. This was explained to me by Mart Avers, content data analyst and co-founder of the Story Network, a company specialized in content and data strategies. Metrics serve as proxies, numbers that are used to say something about non-measurable things, things such as engagement or loyalty or satisfaction, very complicated concepts. 
The proxies are constructed by data analysts who use the numbers that are measurable, such as visitors to a page, clicks, or number of minutes spent reading a certain article. But they can never provide a full representation of what really needs to be measured. They are a shadow of it. Metrics are tempting, though. Every journalist or content creator wants their stories to be read, watched, or listened to by an audience. And it seems so easy. The more views, the better it is. It almost seems like a popularity contest. The more followers, views, likes, or connections we have, the more successful we are. We need to understand, though, that numbers without the right context are just vanity metrics. These are numbers that tell us something, but this something is not really relevant if we can't understand it and if we cannot use this information to, for example, improve upon our work. Page views, for example, do not really provide us with relevant information. If we want to understand metrics better, we should not only be aware of what they are, but maybe even more importantly, what they are not telling us. We already know how complicated engagement as a concept is. I spent quite some time in the previous podcasts explaining its many layers. In social metrics, engagement is measured by the sum of clicks, likes, shares and comments. These are the proxies for a thus not so easily measured concept. They provide a very weak shadow for actual engagement. We still use them because they're available, cheap, and there's not yet something more accurate to replace them with. But it's like trying to tell the time by using a watch that does not provide you with an accurate time. You will probably be either early or late for your appointment. First of all, metrics are not fully representative. Just like the opinions on Twitter are not representative of the whole population, likes, shares and comments on news stories do not give you an accurate impression of the actual value of your story for the whole of the audience. One example. In episode 6, Temi and I discussed the results of a small-scale audience research among my first-year students. You might remember it. This research confirmed what we already knew from theory. Not all audience members are equally active online. All of them consume the news, but for example, commenting was done by only slightly more than half of them, and they engage in this activity only sometimes. This means that most discussions about your stories will take place offline in conversations between family members, friends, or colleagues. This also has to do with different motivations for consuming the news. Somebody might visit your news app multiple times a day, but because of having a basic information need, will never comment nor share your stories online with others. Nonetheless, this is a very loyal audience member, and the engagement with your news app is extensive. And if you think that the only people who might value your stories are the people who click on them, and spend several minutes reading or watching, you might also be mistaken. Sometimes not clicking can also mean something. Research conducted by Tim Groot-Gormelink and Irene Costera-Meyer from the Free University of Amsterdam problematizes the relationship between clicks and audience interests. By observing and interviewing audience members about their actual news consumption practices, they show there are actually many motivations for audience members not to click on something. And not all motivations are necessarily connected to interest. Some reasons are pragmatic. Clicking would be inconvenient, for example, because somebody would only have limited time to check the headlines, or because the data plan of a news consumer is too limited. 
Another reason not to click, according to Groot Gormelink and Kostera Meijer, is the placement of an article. News that is given a prominent spot is more likely to be clicked on than news that is less favorably positioned. Or an audience member would not click on something because they already know about it, because the headline is already informative enough, because the title is not interesting or the picture provided not attractive. All of these motivations are not necessarily connected to disinterest in the news by itself. News consumption practices or browsing patterns, as the researchers name them, don't necessarily need clicking. Groot Gormelink and Kostera Meijer convincingly argue that scanning, snacking, checking or monitoring the news can all be relevant for news consumers, but do not require to actively click on something. In addition, the reasons to click on something are also not necessarily connected to interest. In their research, respondents were also indicating to click on something just because there was a tempting picture. And we can also click on something because we're angry or annoyed by the way a certain topic is represented. And since computers are not yet that good at sentiment analysis, a lot of these types of data are not processed and lost. In short, people who do not click, like, share or comment can still be interested in the news and of the people who do click, the numbers do not provide us with very specific insights into how something is perceived and valued. This is something you need to be aware of because it will place the audience metrics you do have at your disposal into context. On a broader perspective, authors have expressed their concern with the dominance of data and statistics in our society. This is mainly focused on the phenomenon of big data, a concept coined by NASA in 1997. We collect an increasing amount of data, which is used as raw material to be stored, analyzed and sold. Big primarily refers to the size of these data collections. Big data can only be transformed into relevant information by using computers. Manually, we cannot make sense of it anymore. It's hyperinformation. By combining diverse data sets and letting software do the calculations, we can find new patterns and insights. Instead of relying on a sample of audience members and their news consumption choices, as was common in, for example, television audience research, we can now store data of all of our audience members in real time. And although big data problems are broader than audience metrics problems, we can find some learning points that we can apply to how we treat numbers about the audience in journalism. In their book, Big Data, a Revolution that Will Transform How We Live, Work and Think, Victor Meyer Schoenberger and Kenneth Kuckier argue that although big data sets might offer us new insights, it does not mean that our analysis will be more precise. Many big data sets are rather messy. And with bigger data sets, focus is not placed a lot on causality anymore, but on relations. Big data analysis uncovers the what rather than the why. The authors give the example of airplane tickets. If a big data system can tell me exactly when to buy an airplane ticket for the lowest price, it should not matter to me how the system actually came to that conclusion or why it is cheap at that point in time. I don't need to worry about it. The system does that for me. Also to Mendra Harkness, author of another book on big data entitled Big Data the Size Matter, underlines this weak spot of data. It can describe the world, but it's not that good at explaining it. Harkness also argues that big data is helpful if you want to see the big picture of something, not if I want to make small-scale individual decisions. Should we worry about this in journalism? 
I think so. How can we learn from insights that metrics provide us with if we don't understand why some people click on something, if we don't understand why something is valuable for them? Journalism is about looking forward, about providing analysis and context to things that are happening to explain, to answer the why question for audiences. I believe that journalists should also try to answer the why question when they deal with audience metrics and try to learn from these numbers. It's not only about the bigger picture. Nuance is equally important. Sanne Blau, journalist at The Correspondent, wrote a book about how numbers can lead, tempt and mislead us. Tammy already shared a small part of her work, the story about Florence Nightingale, in the introduction of the previous podcast. In addition to explaining us how great data use can be, she also makes a strong case to be cautious with numbers. According to her, numbers should never be the end of a conversation, but the start of one. I agree with that. But maybe it's not applicable to everything journalists do. As the example of the automated tweet shows, maybe there are some simple decisions we don't need to know everything about because software can do it for us. Tweeting an article could be one example. Recommending content to audience members could be another one. Meyer Schoenberger and Kukier give the example of Amazon. At Amazon, they figured out that it is better to provide customers with recommendations based on software analysis of which products relate to each other instead of recommendations based on what comparable customers bought or what experts recommended in reviews. It leads to more sales. We can try to imagine what that could do for news organizations in addition to most read articles or recommendations based on editorial picks. But in most cases, I do think that there are many reasons to be cautious with audience metrics. First of all, numbers can be wrong or of low quality. This is a basic element. You need to be sure that these are not flawed and can be trusted. Secondly, the system can be badly designed. And thirdly, the interpretation can be flawed. Let me give some examples to explain these last two aspects. The system can be flawed. For example, if journalists know how a particular system works, for example, news management wants to see an increasing number of clicks or views, it is easy for journalists to find the appropriate content to reach these clicks with. They just publish more stories on accidents and celebrities and increase their use of clickbait titles and tempting pictures. But that doesn't say anything about the quality of the stories. Lastly, the interpretation of data is important. When you rely on cherry-picking, just selecting the numbers that suit you, leaving aside others that might tell a different story, the numbers will not help you. Personally, for example, I'm not a big fan of sharing top tens of best-clicked-on stories in newsrooms, because the interpretation of the numbers is missing. A top ten does not really say a lot. It might be more helpful to analyze one particular story and use all data available to understand better why something did work or didn't work well. But also because this gives journalists a wrong impression of the value of numbers. It turns journalism into a competition with a winner and a lot of losers. And I think journalists are already under enough pressure. They don't need more. To sum up, when I apply my lessons learned so far to journalism, I can roughly conclude the following. Using numbers and metrics can be valuable for your work practices, but always remind yourself of the relative value of these metrics. Also, not clicking can mean somebody's interested in your story. On the other hand, 
When somebody clicks on your story, it not always means he or she is genuinely interested. But most of all, be a journalist here. Be smart, curious, ask questions and find ways in which you can use the metrics to your own advantage. If possible, discuss metrics, what they measure and how you use them with the people who work with metrics in your organization. Because at the end of the day, even though metrics are intrinsically flawed, there might be reasons to use them. When you ask Mart Avers, who explained the flawed metrics to me in the first place, he is, of course, much more nuanced about this whole issue. Although metrics are not perfect, at least not at the moment, Mart argues that they can still be valuable if used in the right ways. They are simple to use and easily understandable. Not using them would mean that you need to turn to different research tools that are usually more costly, more complicated, and only provide insights from the past, not the present. But if you do use them or are confronted with them in your news organization, you should keep in mind that metrics should never be an end in itself, but a means to help reach a certain goal. To quote Mayor Schoenberger and Kukier, brilliance doesn't depend on data. Or as Harkness states, size isn't everything. This implies that you need to be aware of how the data systems in your organizations work, what parameters are used, and how, for example, engagement is defined. Blau states that you need to be critical about numbers. Do they actually measure what you want to know? It would be great if journalists and programmers could work together here to determine among themselves which data could be used for journalistic work and goals. Mart Avers is working on ways to improve metrics for his clients. For one client who features stories on their company website, he has created a metric that combines scrolling depth of a page to the number of reading minutes. If a visitor has scrolled all the way to the end and has spent approximately the time that it takes to read a story, you can be pretty sure that this visitor did indeed read the whole piece. That is already an improvement from just measuring one of these metrics. It makes the proxy more accurate. There's still a long way to go, but technology will improve, and hopefully so will our insights and creativity to find and develop suitable metrics along the way. One thing that I'm curious about, what metric would be useful for you? If you have an idea, share it by sending me an email or adding me on LinkedIn. Next episode will be the closing episode of part one of my research project. I will share the most important research results of the journalist's perspective with you and provide an outlook on the next phase of my project, the audience perspective. That was it for now. Next time, I'll tell you more. Will you click again? Dewey Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam.